Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. Many years ago, there was a person that uh, I'm still very close with, and I won't disclose their relationship to me uh, in order to keep some degree of anonymity. Uh, but this person was also happened to be my roommate at the same Christian college we had we both attended, and uh, he he struggled while he was there, and um, he broke just about every rule in the book. And we were having a, a conversation outside one of the buildings one day, and I tried to give him like some advice, and he didn't listen. And what's worse is he he was like he disrespected me, and it wasn't like you're like oh Mike and you're rolling your eyes. It wasn't like the disrespect like if you're sitting down somewhere someone stares at you and they're like that guy disrespected me by looking, you know it wasn't something like that. It was like actual disrespect, right? Verbal, physical, like it just was oozing out of it, like his every pore, and uh, and, and and the tone too. Sometimes there's just something about people's tone. Right, that just kind of makes something snap inside of us. <laughs> and uh, I snapped a little. Well, not quite snapped. I almost snapped. But I, I was, I, it made me so angry. I stepped up to him, and I called him out on it. And he had a girl there, too. I think he may have been trying to impress her. And he stepped right back up. And I, I, I'll never forget this as long as I live. Now, we joke about it now. But I pleaded with him to take a swing at me. I was like, please because I see his fist clench at his side. He was so angry, and I was so angry I had my fist. I was like, please take a swing at me. Please, please just do it. Please take a swing at me. Because I knew if he did take a swing at me, I could justify retaliating. If he took a swing at me, I could justify getting into a, a fight with him. And fortunately for us both, it didn't come to that, and uh, we left angry. And when we saw each other later, we both apologized to each other because uh, we were both both wrong in that situation. But I was waiting. I was hoping for a chance to retaliate. Uh, but I didn't get a chance to. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters. If it did come to that, and if, I, if he had swung at me, and if I did retaliate, our relationship would have probably taken a lot longer to patch up. A lot longer. And not only that, there would have been, we both would have had physical scars and deep emotional scars from the experience. And Jesus' words from the gospel reading, to turn the other cheek, is the New Testament theologian F.F. Bruce noted, an action that does not come to us naturally. Like even with the kids, right? You even heard them. Well, what would you do if somebody punched you in the stomach? I'd probably punch him back, right? This non-retaliation does not, it does not come to us naturally. And we heard that read, you know, in Matthew 5, 38 to 42, and we're doing the hard sayings of Jesus, and he says, you know, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. We're going to focus more on this, this one than the other, th- other two passages here. So Jesus quotes from Exodus, right, this eye for an eye, this tooth for a tooth. The, the, the technical name for this, if you want to impress your friends at a party, or if you're standing in line at Target and somebody asks you, hey, the eye for an eye and a tooth for the tooth, what's that called? You could say it's called the lex talonis. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's restated in Leviticus and also in Deuteronomy. 
in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, we know these are part of the Torah, the law given to Israel by God in order to lay out rules and conduct for life, meant to differentiate them from the other nations as well as to manage sin. We miss this sometimes because Jesus is saying the law of Moses says this, but I say do this instead. And notice what he tells them to do isn't actually contrary to the law. right? If he would have said to you, <laughs> the law says an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you would have said what I say to you, two eyes for an eye, two teeth for a teeth, that would have been beyond the law, right? That would have been contrary to the law, but he goes in a completely different direction. And sometimes when we approach the law in the Torah, you know, these laws are, are often painted as nonsensical and stupid. And I, I can't remember how many times I've, I've heard it or seen it in conversations, whether in person or online. Someone saying, oh, the Bible says that. Well, doesn't the Bible say not to eat shellfish or wear clothes made out of different cloth? And then they step back like they just dropped the bomb and like in their, you know, they're going to drop the mic and walk off. And the Bible does say those things. But what's never mentioned is why those particular laws say what they say. There's not a lot of contextual wrestling with those passages to understand how they were understood because only once you do that can you do the harder work of asking how we would apply it now. And it may sound violent to us, brothers and sisters. It might sound unfair, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That sounds pretty violent. What a bunch of barbarians. However, most commentators, most scholars looking at these texts, they note that these laws were meant to limit vengeance. Have you ever heard of the, the Hatfield and the McCoys in American history, right? The Hatfield and the McCoys. It was these two families, right? These two families. And it was, if you go and you read their history, it was just one thing after another where one perpetrates violence against the other and then the other perpetrates violence against the other. And it just keeps building and building and building and building and building until there's just slaughter on both sides. Laws like what we have here in, in the Torah, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, they were designed to function as rules that limit vengeance. Right? It was to make sure that justice was done and was proportion, in proportion to the crime that was committed. And it was designed to prevent further violence between people and families. That's the point of those laws, the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So commentators also note here that in this light, the words on turning the other cheek in the verses that follow, like giving your tunic when losing your, uh, when, when losing your cloak, going two miles and coerce instead of one mile, which is a reference to Roman soldiers forcing civilians to carry their packs over distances. This, turn the other cheek, this is an intensification of the law. And Jesus does this throughout chapter five of the Gospel of Matthew here, such as the command to, uh, if, you, if you lust after somebody and they're not your spouse, you are committing adultery. It's an intensification of the law. Jesus is saying here, hey y'all, the law allows for a level of retaliation for an injury or a wrong, but I'm telling you as my followers not to retaliate at all. The New Testament scholar Richard Hayes asks the question, who is he referring to here? And he answers that the ones being addressed would be those who are powerless victims of hostile action. And this non-retaliation Jesus is requiring of them is physical. He writes this, Jesus' disciples are to relinquish the tit-for-tat ethic and live in a way that eschews retaliation and defense of self-interest. 
By doing more than what the oppressor requires, the disciples bear witness to another reality, the kingdom of God. A reality in which peacefulness, service, and generosity are valued above self-defense and personal rights. So brothers and sisters, what does that mean for us? Passages like this are really difficult for us, I think, especially now, especially in our own culture, because Jesus' words about non-retaliation really challenge our cultural beliefs. They challenge our cultural beliefs. And I'll say, like, in our country, we have the right, as laid out in our founding documents, to own weapons, right? It's in there. Now, I'm not talking about how we should debate how this gets interpreted, what, but the reason why I'm bringing this up is, and I'm not saying whether you should or shouldn't own a weapon, right? I'll leave that to your conscience. But in light of what we're talking about, I, I think that this hits hard for us. This hits home for us. And I'll be open with you all. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Like, I, I, I have a rifle, right? I have a, a lever action 3030 that I bought because I thought I was going to, I thought I was going to go deer hunting when I got to Pennsylvania. And I, I never have much of the chagrin of one of my, my hillbilly friends who invites me every year. And every year I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And he's, and now he's like, I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go hunting with you this year. And every year he goes, no, you're not. No, you're not. And I never do because something, something comes up. But I bought it because I intended to hunt with it. And at one point, I also had, I had also owned a pistol with the intent of, of carrying it. And I had, in the past, legally owned a concealed carry pistol. But I hadn't for a while. But reading passages like this began to get to me. And it's something that I still wrestle with here. Jesus' words about non-retaliation should make us wrestle with the fact that our, the rights given to us by our government to own weapons can clash with, with how God is asking us to live. Because weapons are tools that can be used for the purpose of retaliation. Just go and do like Google, go to YouTube and look for, for, for road rage videos. Like, and that's what road rage is. Somebody cuts you off and you follow them and sometimes people lose their lives because of it. And when you have a weapon, it can be easier to retaliate. And in the news the other day, I saw a story of a gang member who shot the relative of other gang members to get back at them for something that they did to anger them. And Jesus' words here should make us think about the fact that even though we have the right, should we as Christians utilize those rights? I'm not talking about you can't defend yourself. I'm not saying if somebody breaks into your house. I'm talking about, though, we have to think about retaliation. We have to think about violence and the way that we as Christians react and respond to violence. Because we as the church live as the sign of the coming new kingdom that Jesus has inaugurated. So this means, brothers and sisters, that the way we live is a witness just as much as what we say. And the early Christians, when violence was perpetrated upon them, they knew that the coming hope was a better thing than their present situation, and that gave them courage to live in a way countercultural to those who surrounded them. And it's this ethic, brothers and sisters, that caused the church to eventually triumph against the might of imperial Rome. And this is still countercultural because it makes us stop and think. Oftentimes, the exercise of our rights, something that is legally okay for us to do, could at times also be antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why following Jesus can be so difficult because it's, it's not just, we're going to have a baptism today. It's not just a dunk in the baptismal tank or raising your hand to pray the sinner's prayer at a revival meeting. 
Baptism is the initiation into a new life in Jesus Christ. It is incorporation into his body, the church. It is entrance into the kingdom of God. And brothers and sisters, the kingdom of God has a greater claim on us. It has a greater hold on us than our country. The kingdom of God has a greater claim than whatever country or state or secret club or open club, whether you know, you're a part of a cigar club, right? Or you know, whether you're like in a craft beer club or a whiskey club or a Shriner or a Freemason or, or daughter of the American Revolution or something like that. The kingdom of God has a greater claim on us than any other kingdom. And oftentimes the claims of the kingdom of God will run contrary to the claims of the kingdoms of this world. And we all will have to choose how we as Christians will live in the kingdom of God. The other reason why I think this is difficult for us, the saying about non-retaliation is, as human beings, we have an instinctual draw to violence. It's in our sports, it's in our movies. Right? Violence is something that draws us in, right? Like, I like a good action movie. I'm not going to be a hypocrite here, right? When I watch John Wick, like, take out a room full of thugs, and it's really well choreographed, I'm like, wow, that was really, really cool. That was a really great scene. I loved that. But violence, it's movie violence, but violence in general can have a terrible effect on us. And while reading this and studying and thinking about this, I remembered a story. Have you ever read The Confessions of St. Augustine? If you haven't, I highly suggest that you do. You can find it online for free. It's, I mean, he wrote it in like the 300s. So it's available for free. It's online. You should definitely check it out, definitely read it. But in the Confessions, he tells a story of a friend of his named Alepius. I'm going to read you some of the story because it talks about how violence has a terrible effect on us. And Alepius was drawn into the gladiatorial games, right? We know, we've seen Gladiator, right? We've seen Russell Crowe kill the tiger and fight all the people in there. We know, right, that this was part of the life of ancient Rome. And so he talks about his friend Alepius. He said, he had gone on to Rome before me to study law, and he was carried away with an incredible passion for the gladiatorial shows. For although he had been utterly opposed to such spectacles and detested them, one day he met by chance a company of his acquaintances and fellow students returning from dinner, and with the friendly violence they drew him, resisting and objectingly, into the amphitheater on a day of those cruel and murderous shows. And he protested to them, You drag my body to that place and set me down there. You cannot force me to give my mind or lend my eyes to these shows. Thus I will be absent while present, and so overcome both of you and them." And when they heard this, they dragged him in, probably interested to see whether he could do it, as he said. So when they got to the arena and they had taken the seats that they could get, the whole place became a tumult of inhuman frenzy. But Alepius kept his eyes closed and forbade his mind to roam abroad after such wickedness. Would he had shut his ears also. For when one of the combatants fell in the fight, a mighty cry from the whole audience stirred him so strongly that overcome by curiosity and still prepared to despise and rise superior to it, no matter what it was, he opened his eyes and was struck with a deeper wound in his soul than the victim who he desired to see had been in his body. Thus he fell more miserably than the one whose fall had raised that mighty clamor which had entered through his ears and unlocked his eyes to make way for the wounding and beating down of his soul, which was more audacious than truly valiant. Also, it was weaker because it presumed on its own strength when it ought to have depended on the thee. For as soon as he saw the blood, he drank it in with a savage temper, and he did not turn away, 
but fixed his eyes on the pastime, unwittingly drinking in the madness, delighted with the wicked contest. He was now no longer the same man who came in, but was one of the mob he came into, a true companion of those who had brought him there. Why need I say more? He looked, he shouted, was excited, and he took away with him the madness that would stimulate him to come again, not only with those who first enticed him, but even without them. Indeed, dragging in others besides. And yet from all this, with the most powerful and most merciful hand, thou didst pluck him and taught him not to rest his confidence in himself, but in thee, but not until long after. It's a very sobering story, brothers and sisters, that we have from the ancient world about how the violence of the gladiatorial games drew in people who would protest that they would never lower themselves or debase themselves to participate in such a thing. Right? And it took a long time for the gladiatorial, I believe, I could be wrong, but I, I believe the gladiatorial games were eventually shut down by, by Constantine. But it took a long time for that, for that to happen. And, and brothers and sisters, the reason why I'm talking about this because violence and retaliation are, are closely linked together. And, and violence and the tools of violence, they have a hold on us. And the first step to not letting violence take hold on us may be by setting our rights to exercise violence aside. Because in our culture, brothers and sisters, violence is too quickly baptized and Christianized. It is too quickly baptized and Christianized. And so that's why <laughs> sermons like this are hard to preach. Right? That's why sermons like this are very hard to hear because as Christians, we want to retaliate. We want to strike back. We want to do harm to those who would want to do harm to us. And you know, somebody, <laughs> somebody came once behind me and slapped me on the back of the head. That's, if you want to see me go from affable and friendly to instantly upset, come and slap me in the back of the head as hard as you can. Like, I'll, I'll, kick, I'll, I'll get up, I'll kick my seat out, I'll turn around, you know. But the gospel, right? If, if we are in Christ, right? If you're not in Christ, if you're not a Christian, then just sit back and be like, oh, you silly man. God bless you. For those of us who are in Christ, right? For those of us who have decided to follow Christ, who Christ has saved, it, we are required, brothers and sisters, to constantly look at our lives. How are we living our lives? Are we living our lives according to the words of Christ? Or are we living our lives according to how the culture tells us? Because like I said, and like we'll find as we continue to go through all of these sermons that we've been doing, this whole series, these have been really difficult to us because these words of Jesus still strike in our hearts as hard as they did to those in the ancient world. Which should show us that the things that we struggle with maybe aren't that different from the things that they struggled with. And so, brothers and sisters, may we all learn from our Lord Jesus, who for our sake suffered the blows on his face and turned the other cheek even to the point of the cross so we could be redeemed. And may he receive all glory and worship and praise together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. We pray that these sermons have been a blessing to you, and we ask that you would help us out if you could. We are in desperate need of some major repairs. If you could go to a GoFundMe we've set up, gofundme.com slash Stone. If you could uh, go there and uh, donate towards uh, our needs, we would be greatly appreciative of that. 
Again, thank you so much for listening. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you want to get a hold of me, you can reach out at malandsman at gmail.com or check us out on our Facebook page, Zionstone UCC, as well as our uh, website, zionstoneucc.com. God bless. Thank you.